when we did a review on six different diseases, malaria, Ebola, cholera, borrelia ulcer, and uh, some few others, we realized that out of 10 articles coming out between 1980 and 2016 or 17, only three out of 10, three or four out of 10, were having either a first or a senior author for Africa. I'm talking about research implemented in Africa. Mm -hmm. So which means that we are not telling our story. Mm -hmm. Someone else is telling our story. Mm -hmm. So this has to change. Hello everyone and welcome to the Global Health and Future Podcast, a podcast about unspoken realities about global health in Africa and the world. I am your host, Ulrich Sidney Kamuni. Once again, welcome to our 12th episode, the final episode in the first season. Today, we discuss African solutions to global health issues with our guest, Yapboom II. Boom is a public health specialist with extensive programmatic research, education, and leadership experience. He previously served as the regional representative for Epicenter Africa, the research arm of Médecins Sans Frontières, leading research projects on tuberculosis and malaria, among others. In Guinea, he was in charge of the laboratory coordination for Médecins Sans Frontières Epicenter Phase 3 trial for the vaccine against Ebola, VSV, EBOV. Boom! equally helped set up a center for diarrheal disease research in collaboration with Barara University of Sciences and Technology, where he holds a professorship in microbiology. He is equally a faculty of public health and microbiology at the universities of Yaoundé One and Douala in Cameroon and Virginia in the United States. Boom aims to advance research and innovative solutions and to promote the creation of a critical mass of young Africans to address social and public health challenges. This vision is evidenced by his entrepreneurial ventures. He is the co-founder of multiple startup initiatives, including The Village and Kamepat. The Village is a social network matching platform for diaspora and local African health stakeholders, and Kamepat is a nonprofit that develops washable sanitary pads to empower women and allow them to fully participate in their education. Boom is a prolific author with publications in some of the most reputable infectious disease and public health peer-reviewed journals. Today, he joins us from the Cameroon Health Emergency Operations Center in Yaoundé. We are honored that he has made the time to share his experience on the Global Health Unfiltered podcast. So good morning, Dr. Yeah, Boom. Um, thanks for joining us this uh, morning. and. Uh, uh, really, thanks for making the time for us. So first things first, we've uh, noticed that your experience ranges from a wide variety of um, infectious diseases all around Africa. And uh, more recently, we had this situation with the COVID-19 pandemic, and you were highlighting that we needed more local capacities to address our needs. So what we want to know is your analysis of the current state of um, public health response within Africa and where you think it should be headed next. Thank you for inviting me to, to your podcast. I'm, I'm glad to have the, this platform to share a bit of my experience and, uh, and thought. 
I think the, the COVID-19 has been, uh, and is still actually not over, a great opportunity for us Africans to think and rethink how we have to find our homegrown and innovative solution to address our own problem. The COVID-19 pandemic means it was all over the continent, all over the globe, but every continent has to find their own solution. If you look at what is happening as we are speaking right now in China, it's horrible. They implement a zero COVID strategy and now they are overwhelmed and, and they let the people go to work despite being positive. Uh, quite a number of people are dying, the crematorium are, are all full, uh, which is what was actually expected for Africa at the, in the early stage of the, of the pandemic. But what we did well, and when I say we did well, it's important to remind us that Africa is not a country. Africa is a continent with 54 countries, so we have 54 different experiences as COVID-19 is concerned. Um, at the time, I was a representative for Africa of Epicent. Epicent is the research arm of MSF, Dr. Lord Borders. But also, I was the chief of operation of the Public Health Emergency Office Center in Cameroon, so for the Ministry of, uh, of Health, of Public Health. So in those capacities, I was privileged to see what we were doing in Cameroon and compared to what other countries within the continent were doing in Uganda, Niger, Senegal, and many others. The thing that Cameroon specifically did well was to rely on our data, to rely on our environment. And I will take one simple example. The strategy for the country to respond to COVID-19 was one, to limit the transmission of the virus. Two, to limit the mobility and mortality due to the virus. And three, to limit the social impact of the pandemic in our environment. So what we did, we say, if we want to limit the virus, we need to test, mass testing. At the time, we were having only one laboratory, the Santo Pastor de Cameroon, that was able to do the molecular test to detect COVID-19. Though we increase with the network with nine labs, as, as I'm speaking right now, we have 45 labs able to do the, the molecular testing, which is a lot for a, for a country like Cameroon. But what we realized very early is that even with our nine molecular labs, we were not able to have the result in time. And we decided to use research to evaluate the rapid test. At the time, they were, we were having the serologic, we were having the antigen, and very quickly, we have the preliminary result of our study that was done here in, in Yaoundé. And we realized that the antigenic tests were giving us a sensitivity of 80%, which means out of 10 people who were actually positive for COVID, we were able to, to catch eight of them. And the eight, those eight were the one having the highest viral load. So the one with the higher risk of having a severe form, but also the one having the higher risk of transmitting the disease. And we decided for our environment, this is what we will, will use to stop the limit the transmission. And at the time, I recall the hard discussion with our international partner, 
telling us that the WHO standard for rapid death is 95% sensitivity and 99% specificity. We were really below that. But we boldly decide that this is what we will do. So this is one simple example of how the country, the continent, as we are moving ahead, should rely on data, on evidence for our context, so that the solution we decide correspond to our environment and to evidence from science. I mean, in your response, the first thing that uh, we get to notice is a very strong uh, research linked to actual practice and health policy. And I'd just like to remember, remind that you've, uh, you're a very prolific researcher with um, articles in some of the more high-impact factor journals. And it's from your experience from Episant with MSF, your experiences in uh, various African countries, you've um, managed to integrate that um, data collection analysis into, into practice and promptly re responding to COVID-19 was um, definitely impressive. Um, so with your experience so far, um, where do you see the current research uh, in, in our continent for public health emergencies and perhaps where do we go from here now um, with uh, the whole COVID experience that we've learned? Yes, two things. The first is the way African countries have, have decided to, to respond to the pandemic was to implementation of the Public Health Emergency Operations Center, PHEOC. Mm -hmm. And this is based on what was built in Atlanta by CDC. But the innovation for Cameroon was to include in the different office the Operational Research Unit. Which was one of the most important pillars in the response. Mm -hmm. So I think what we should carry on is that. So as we'll be responding to other epidemics, because we'll have many more, we have cholera, we have monkeypox, we have many other that will be coming, to ensure that in the organization, the institution, the institution that is responding, we must have research, which is part of it. That's critical. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, um, my fight in, in research is to ensure that African researcher has a say. When we did a review on six different diseases, malaria, Ebola, cholera, borrelia ulcer, and uh, some few others, we realized that out of 10 articles coming out between 1980 and 2016 or 17, only three out of 10, three or four out of 10, were having either a first or a senior author for Africa. I'm talking about research implemented in Africa. Mm -hmm. So which means that we are not telling our story. Mm -hmm. Someone else is telling our story. Mm -hmm. So this has to change. And I, again, see COVID as an opportunity. Right now, we have uh, some of the people involved in the COVID-19 response in Cameroon working on writing papers on relating the experience of Cameroon, mm -hmm. on in the lab, how we did the, the genomic sequencing, but also how we organized the African Cup of Nations mm -hmm. within COVID, with Omicron, mm -hmm. how we did the communication. And we are also doing that with many partners, including the, the World Health Organization, who is, trying, who is trying to use the same model so that other African countries can tell their stories. Mm -hmm. Because if you rely only on what is published in Spain, in Italy, in China, or in the US, it's very difficult to duplicate. For a country like Niger, for a country like 
Central African Republic or a country like Senegal. So it's critical that we tell our stories so that we learn from our experience mm -hmm. and other people who are like us can also take advantage of that. And I think that's really critical. And we need, that is a call, we need to have our people from the diaspora to support us on those activities of writing. Because one, most of our scientists are not used, mm -hmm. they don't have the protected time to mm -hmm. write. Mm -hmm. The language is also a barrier in most occasions. So if we manage to bridge the gap, between the diaspora, all the experts that we have, and the people that we have here, then we can make sure that, one, we tell our stories, but that eventually we become one. Mm -hmm. This is really my dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you just mentioned that the, the rich, rich um, resources that Africa has within the diaspora, whether it's in terms of just human resources in numbers, but also the skills. And I think this relates to one of your more recent initiatives um, called The Village. Would you like to tell us about um, what The Village is, its purpose, and um, where, where you are at right now with it? Yes, surely. In our country, in our continent, we want to say it takes a village mm -hmm. to raise a child, mm -hmm. which means that a child is born from a mother and a father, as we know here, and to grow, there are numbers of people, the family, the friend, the neighbor, uh, the uncle, the auntie, the friend, or, there are so many people who, are, who get involved in raising a child to become a man or a woman. So I wanted to take the same opportunity. I've grown, as you mentioned, I've been quite prolific, I've been quite privileged to have around me people who help me to do my research. And I've also been in a position to have many interns while I was in Uganda, while I'm here in Cameroon. And those interns were coming from different places, different countries, from the US, from Europe, from many African countries. And I was always frustrated that only the people in my network can benefit from what I can give. So I, I was wondering how can we bridge, how can we break those barriers and bridge the gap mm -hmm. to ensure that whoever is in need of a mentor, of an intern, of fund, can easily access that person, that institution, mm -hmm. who is just waiting somewhere, who has time, who has fund, who would like to help, who would like to support, who would like to invest. So I decided to create the village with some some friends and colleagues. Uh, we create the Home Rule Solution for Africa, which is based in Cameroon, with also some colleagues from the University of uh, Harvard, Mass General Hospital. And the idea is to have a digital platform mm -hmm. where you merge LinkedIn and Tinder. Mm -hmm. The actual idea behind, if you go on LinkedIn, most of the people will create a profile. Mm -hmm. And the idea of the profile to make some connection. Mm -hmm. But beyond the connection, nothing really happened. Mm -hmm. People see connection, I have 500 plus connection, but I do nothing with those people. Mm -hmm. If you go in Tinder, which is a matching relationship website, people go there to create some relationship. So they're intentional. Mm -hmm. So my idea was, if now a scientist creates his or her profile, saying, okay, I'm based in Malawi, I'm a young researcher, I'm working in malaria, and I need a mentor. I'm, I need 
some support to implement my research so that it can help improving the quality of life of my, of my community. You put, create your profile, someone based in the US, maybe someone from the diaspora, maybe not. You put your profile and you say, I'm based in the US, I'm based in Europe, and I have some time, I'm looking for a mentee. I'm also interested on malaria or many other disease, infectious disease, and I will have some time, maybe some little money to support. Mm -hmm. How does those people connect yeah. through the platform? So we will be using artificial intelligence so that you can have the top three or five people that can match with what you are looking for, what you are seeking. Mm -hmm. Either you are seeking for a mentee or you are seeking for a mentor. But now, beyond those two people, you have all those organizations. You have the Fogarty, you have the NIH. All those people who have calls every day, the African Academy of Science, their call never reached their target. Because all the same people are always the one receiving the call. Mm -hmm. So how can they now have a broader, larger spectrum of people? It's also through the village. Mm -hmm. So the village will bring together the scientists, the philanthropists, the institution, the publisher, to have that ecosystem where we can create relationship, we can create some projects. Mm -hmm. So the project will actually be the outcome that we are expecting and the impact will be to breaking all the barriers, to breaking all the gap, and to bring equity and decolonizing global health. That's the aim of the village. Wow, that's, um, that, that's very impressive. Right? And it definitely resonates because when you mention the, the fact that information does not go all the way to the target, it's absolutely 100% right. And interestingly, when you find yourself at a really high-level institutions, on the one hand, you meet all these amazing current and past, uh, whether it's students or faculty from Africa, and then uh, sometimes you see the difficulties that are there and you think, well, this person could probably help a great deal. But at the same time, exactly like you mentioned, is the really good calls for grants, for proposals, they almost always end up in the same hands, in the same people, with the same people. I, I, I wouldn't, it, it's not, uh, an overstatement to say that if you go, I don't know, to uh, the university or, or some university in Tanzania or, or, or Malawi and you or look Uganda, at your, or Uganda okay, and you tell them, are you aware of this grant? Usually they don't know. If there's a fellowship, they're not aware of it, so it doesn't get there. So that would be definitely interesting. And you earlier you mentioned about, again, the social impact of public health interventions with, with Cameroon's um, response. And interestingly, one of the things we're seeing either with China or with the US and maybe other Western countries is perhaps they neglected the social impact of, 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 the, of the pandemic. It was go, go home, it's going to be two weeks, it's going to be fine. But even after a while, people were like, you know what, I really want to take care of people, but I need to be out there. I need to work. I need to uh, see my family and all that. And I distinctly remember that while there was the Ebola pandemic, the, the narrative in Western media was, why can't these people just stay away from their families? Why are they still getting sick, right? And, the, and it was like people could not fathom it. And now we find ourselves in a COVID pandemic, and that's the situation. And interestingly, African researchers, Africa has that experience understanding the social impact of public health interventions. So it, just going back to it, um, what your experience has been with this and perhaps even um, regarding uh, COVID and even taking it further and sharing our experiences, like you mentioned, with, with other countries? 
Yes, um, the, the best example for us in limiting the social impact is the organization of the African Cup of Nations of football. Mm -hmm. At the time where the FIFA, the International Football Association, all the European clubs were actually putting pressure on our, our, our country to postpone or actually to cancel the mm -hmm. competition because mm -hmm. it was also the time where the Omicron were, were going on. But for us, it was, no, we just can't. Football is so important for us, mm -hmm. one. Two, we have some evidence of what is going on. Mm -hmm. We've implemented quite a number of strategies. We put in place a mass health coverage. Mm -hmm. And eventually, we managed to host the event without a surge mm -hmm. of case after the event. So mm -hmm. this is because of the, 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 the work that, that was done. The same thing, we did not stop people from going to school. Mm -hmm. This is Cameroon. As compared to Uganda, where I was also working, mm -hmm. they were two years without school. Mm -hmm. We imagine the impact in those children. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to remember that the human being mm -hmm. is at the center of everything. Mm -hmm. If you stop from the social interaction, mm -hmm. if you don't provide psychological support, which we were also one of the first countries to support people psychologically, talking about the case, talking about the family, but also the healthcare worker, that has had a, a, an impressive impact on, 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 the, on the response. Mm -hmm. So now what you see in other countries, which I, I believe they should learn from what they've seen in Africa, is you cannot oppress people even at the risk of them dying, mm -hmm. which, is, which is what we are seeing currently in China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very insightful, again, to, to, to get these messages out. And I think that's one of the purposes, again, of our, of our podcast, telling that, telling that story of um, African solutions, African actors um, making a difference and also changing that narrative because at the end of the day, it's, it's quite important. Because in my experience, uh, which is quite limited, I would say, but I think everybody will agree, when you go to the high levels of global health, um, the conversations that we often have there are, in my opinion, quite disconnected from the reality on the ground, uh, whether it's with the research, like you mentioned, and the publication on like stuck in the middle, uh, the, the stats were, were staggering, and hopefully we're, we're, we're changing that and changing that uh, positively, the, the narrative. So... Uh, we definitely uh, look forward to not only uh, participating in uh, the initiatives like the village and for our listeners, we'll make sure that we share um, Dr. Yapboom's not only contact, but also uh, any information regarding the village initiative. Those who want to, to reach out will get that. And for the publications that we mentioned during our conversation, we'll be sharing the link below. Um, do not hesitate to uh, comment, like, share, and uh, share your experiences with us so that we can uh, blast it out there, get the message out there. Uh, once again, uh, thank you, Dr. Yapboom. We know you're a very busy person, and thanks for giving us uh, a few minutes of your time this morning uh, to discuss your experience within Africa. My real pleasure, and I really hope that you will all join the village because I'm sure that you all have to be and you all want to contribute on raising the next generation of African leaders in global health.